Being attached to too many things, we are weighed down and dragged along with them. Marcus Aurelius. You're listening to Podnuts Pro, your podcast for IT business support. Tips to help you run your business better, smarter, and faster. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Podnuts Pro. I am your host, Marvin B., coming at you live from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And if you are watching the live feed or even the video after the fact, you are see, you will see that I am joined by the flute master himself, <laughs> with network protocol specialist, Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, Marvin. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. It rained today. I don't understand what that's about, but. And you know what? It didn't rain here today. So I guess it's as, as uncommon in both our places. Right? Yep, it is. It is. All right. So, folks, uh, as I mentioned, Mike Panaki from Network Protocol Specialist, we are going to chat about networking stuff, specifically the topic of SNMP versus security, something I ran into with a couple of clients this past week, voiced a couple of questions, and Mike was so graciously to come on and chat about it with me, and we'll see what your thoughts are as well. And let me go ahead and say that Podnuts Pro is your podcast for business IT support. It's the show where we share products, stories, and tips, all in an effort to help you run your business better, smarter, and faster. And Podnuts Pro is sponsored by our good friends at NetAlly. They are the ones that have provided me with the great handheld network discovery and testing tools. And if you're watching the video, you see the wall of NetAlly behind him. All of those tools look so lovely there, Mike. Well, you know, I've got my two OptiViews back here, which are really the predecessor to the EtherScope NXG. And this is uh, year 21 mm. of, teach, of me teaching classes on that. It's uh, it, it, I've been doing those classes since 2000, which is hard to believe. That's probably about the time I started paying attention to stuff. Yeah. <laughs> trying to remember what the name of my first tool was. I think the first one I got was the, I think it was called the net tool, right? One yeah. word, oh, yeah. N-A-T-T-O-O-L. Yep. Yeah, and, I've got, uh, I've kind of got one of everything. Over the years, I've collected all those. I've got some net tools. I've got some etherscopes. I've got some link runners. Uh, pretty much one of everything, and they all work. And so it's interesting. You know, every once in a while, we wanted to know if we could use a uh, older link runner as a reflector for the etherscope. And so I went back to the to the archive and grabbed out one and put some double A batteries in it and fired it up. And sure so enough, it worked. Are you talking about the link runner AT, the first series? This was the, actually the link runner pro. And oh, I, okay. I, I, right now I've got all that stuff in storage, but it was uh, yeah, about that tall and had, uh, you could get the duo version that had both fiber and copper on it, but it was the predecessor to the link runner AT. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. I'm sure those tools will come up uh, a little bit later in our discussion, but let me go ahead and get a couple of housekeeping tips on. I do want to say that uh, a quick thank you to Bradley Gross, our guest from last week, the law offices of Bradley Gross. 
And next week, we are going to have Scott Sanders. And for those of you that are on the Facebook, Scott Sanders runs the ITBOG Facebook group, otherwise known as the IT Business Owners Group. And that has been a great group, fast growing, and is also doing a lot to help our community. So Scott Sanders will be joining us next week. And by the way, he also runs his own IT company, Affordable Technology Solutions. So I'll ask him about that as well. And let me go ahead and get our commercial out of the way first. And if I if I can remember where I'm going to grab our stuff here. And let's do this. So, of course, NetAlly, as I mentioned, is our show sponsor. And get our pictures up because I try to tell them that I'm going to show their stuff here. So there we are. So share that. So NetAlly is our presenting sponsor for PodNuts Pro. Um, Great company. And and as I mentioned, and as Mike mentioned, great tools that we use. And then our live stream sponsor, Computers Done Right. The uh, links for both of those sponsors will be in the show notes. So if you'd like to go and learn more about each of them, you can do so. So that is that. And what else? I'll go ahead and give a tip. So one of the things I did today, Mike, and you tell me if this is a great tip or not. I had a third party vendor for one of my clients who puts in these little information boards for medical offices. So when you walk into one of the exam rooms and stuff, they could have a board up there and it'll, you know, run through all the medical announcements and drugs and tips and all of that stuff. They have them in the waiting rooms on the televisions and they're connected through Wi-Fi. Okay. And they're connected to a separate VLAN. We created a completely separate network for them. And they just run. And I really never worry about them because they're not mine. But every once in a while, they go out. And a tech comes out. And it's usually a subcontracted tech. And they come out and they try to put the device back on the network. Well, in this particular case, all of the devices except one were working. And the one that wasn't working they swore it was because we were blocking the MAC address. <laughs> and I was like, we're not blocking anything on that VLAN. And how can I prove it to you? And they said, well, we're not sure. I said, well, I'll tell you how I can prove it to you. Send me the MAC address of the device you're trying to connect. And I will put that MAC address in my tester. And I will test the network connection with that. And they're like, you can do that? And I said, yes, I can. So they sent it to me. I turned my, uh, I did one of the profiles specifically for this client, changed the MAC address because you can actually do a user entered MAC address. Yep. Connected to the network. I got the email from LiveLink that showed me the connection, showed me IP address, showed me a connection out to the internet. I took a screenshot. I sent them about three or four different screenshots and pics of a successful connection with their MAC address. Uh, and, <laughs> and now it's up to them. So. Well, you, and that is that it, what a great way to end the finger pointing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and one that I use that for is I use it to go in and validate DHCP reservations. So if somebody like in a situation like that, if, if they give me the MAC address ahead of time, 
And I've set up a DHCP reservation to ensure that that device is always going to get the same IP address. I can, we can go in, set that MAC address and then validate that we're going to get the correct DHCP IP ad, or DHCP address and information. Now, we always want to make sure we set that address back to the factory default or some other <laughs> right. address after we're done. But now I can, I can show a report that says, Hey, as long as you come in with this address, everything that's going to work. Yep. And you're right. It does stop the finger pointing. And the reason I brought that up is because I ended up waiting for this tech for 90 minutes. Yeah. We had set up an appointment, special appointment, because they wanted me to go out and fix it. And then they would come out afterwards. And I said, no, 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 no. Let's go there together. We can both test everything, make sure it's working. And after an hour, you know, the tech calls me and says, okay, I'll be right there. Waited another 30 minutes. He wasn't there. I'm like, look, I can't wait. Here's the report showing you it works. And when you're ready to come back out, make another appointment. But now I got to figure out, do I bill my customer for this or do I find a contact at their place and send it to them? Because I was there for an hour and a half. I know. And a- time ain't cheap. No, it's not. Mm. All right. So I guess we uh, overloaded the show with net ally stuff. Oh, we got more. <laughs> I'm sure we do. Uh, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's do our in the news segment and Florida man. So let's do this in the news. So the question is how healthy are the MSP and MSSP markets? So enable and Datto have both released their quarterly results and ConnectWise, who is hosting their IT Nation conference this weekend, also provided some answers. And just to give you an idea, folks, NetEnable has 1,662 MSP partners that spend at least $50,000 with the software company and represents about 25% year-over-year increase. That is a lot. Also enables net retention rate remains consistent at 110% on a 12-month basis. On the other hand, Datto is expected to announce quarterly financial earnings. And of course, in this report, they don't say what those are. And why would they say that in a report and then not report it? That's just a shame. So there you go. Let's see. Total revenue for Enable this past year. Uh, as of Q3, $88.4 million, up 16% compared to Q3 in 2020. So MSP markets are doing pretty good. And in Florida, man, I should probably put up another picture. So normally what I do, even though I have Florida man stories all the time, I um, usually will go and, oh, my screen is frozen. How about that? How about all that for live TV, folks? So I'm going to put this up here. So usually I'll just go in and I'll do a check of Florida Man Stories just to see if there's anything new that's popped on my screen. So today I was at, while I was at that client where we were talking about, you know, ports and all this stuff, I did a search for Florida Man. And I know that people probably won't be able to see this too much. So I'm going to try to minimize this as much as I can. Every 
search result that I did simply typing in the word Florida man basically was about South Florida man who beat and stabbed dog will serve 10 years. Florida man who stabbed stuffed dog in suitcase will serve 10 years. Florida man who beat stabbed dog with every single result on the first page. So I had to, of course, go back and look at it. And this was all based in Hollywood, Florida, which is about 20 minutes from me. And Brendan Evans, 35 of Hollywood, was accused of beating a pit bull puppy, stabbing it 50 times, and stuffing it into a suitcase back in 2017, November 22nd. And uh, he was charged with aggravated animal cruelty after he was linked to DNA taken from the suitcase in which the pit bull was found. The pit bull was named Ollie. And he was found clinging to life. He was discovered in an alley on October 10th, taken to an animal hospital where he eventually died due to the stab wounds. So sometimes Florida man just makes us sad. And I just, it was kind of odd that every single story was about Florida man killing the pit bull Ollie. So sad story. I usually have some stupid, crazy stuff, but that was not it. All right. So let us go on to our topic. And actually, you know what? Somebody's popped into the room here. Let me bring on. Hey, guys. Our good friend from up north, Chad Kemp to Fast Computers. Chad, how are you? I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Uh, doing, doing great. Pretty good. Mike, Chad, do you guys know each other? We don't. We do now. We do now. Yes. I've, I've known Mike for at least 15 seconds. <laughs> so far, it's you all good things. everything there is to know then. <laughs> I can't say we have any problems. We seem to get along great. <laughs> all right. So just a real quick recap. So Chad is in the group of people that I call peanuts, and they are ones that every now and then I'll send out an email to either in advance of a show to get, you know, feedback or comments, should I or shouldn't I, kind of like a moral compass in terms of, you know, if I'm going to run somebody under the bus or if something's a good topic, that sort of thing. And, uh, Chad, we're not going to end up talking about the, the thing I started to talk about, which was unmanaged switches are evil. Yeah, there's nothing really much to say. You just took care of it right there. We're good. <laughs> they are evil. That's... <laughs> Anyone that installs them is a is a perpetrator of evil. That's that's how that goes. Yeah. Now I I do have one use for unmanaged switches, and that is that uh, I take the Netgear GS one hundred five E and set up a span port for tapping in line to capture packets. So in fact, if you do a search on YouTube for GS one hundred five E, my video on how to do that will be the top video that will show up. But okay. uh, there's a use for unmanaged switches. Right. Yes, I, I agree. They, they they fetch a pretty penny at the scrap recycler. <laughs> Are you sure it's a pretty penny and not a, a dull and ugly uh, I penny? Mean, well, pennies, pennies are, are from a bygone era, so I guess they get a shiny nickel. There yeah. you go. All right. And so, of course, that stemmed from the fact that I have spent, and I'm embarrassed to say this, I've spent the last month searching for a five-port PoE switch 
that was fully managed, able to do VLANs, and had more than one port that would do PoE. I've been using the Arachnus line of switches from SnapAV, now known as Snap1. I like their switches. They do all the managed stuff for me very well, work with my NetAlly tools. But the five port that they have has only one port dedicated to PoE. Now there's a PoE pass-through so we can grab power from another PO switch. And then it leaves one port to push out PoE. And I've got a couple of places where I know that a lot of you do too, where you've got to do multiple POEs, either where a customer has added a second person to a spot where they just don't have enough jacks, but yet you now need two POE switches or two POE ports for, you know, VoIP phones. Uh, in this particular case, I have a customer where a lot of their people have two phones. I don't get it. They, you know, have, get on hold. It's a medical office. So what they'll do is they'll get on hold waiting for Blue Cross Blue Shield and they could be on hold for, you know, half an hour to an hour. So they'll put one phone on and then they'll use another phone to do other stuff. So a lot of times they'll have two phones and they're in spaces where we can't really run, you know, a power brick to them. And so I've been putting in these, and I've been doing eight port switches yeah, that's uh, to do say. that. But I wanted yeah. to find some five port switches because they're always like, why are they so expensive? I'm like, well, they're eight ports. But a fully managed five port wouldn't really save you any money. And I think that's why you find all the good switches are mostly eight ports. Because yeah. I don't think those extra three ports are really a big part of the spend. Here's an interesting product, though, if you haven't used it before. Maybe not quite for your application there, but uh, every vendor pretty much has them. Meraki's model number is an MR30H. It's actually a Wi-Fi access point with a four-port switch built in. It can be powered by PoE, and then it has PoE pass-through on one of the ports. It doesn't solve your two-port problem, but um, just an interesting thing since we're talking about small things and fully managed. Fortinet has one. It's got some weird long part number. Uh, Ubiquity, I don't like them, but they do have a they do have one. Like I said, I think everybody has one at this point. But you want yeah. small switches with wireless built in. <laughs> yeah, that just sounds of shadow IT for some reason. Well, but that's the idea. You put it in before they do. <laughs> and, then, and as a bonus, since you have such great coverage around the building, you can then use it to zap rogue APs. Nothing like suppressing rogue APs. There you go. That works. All right. So that was where I initially was going. But then I ended up with other issues in two client visits in the past week where these are very nice-sized companies with very nice checkbooks. And I am a subcontractor for them, but I'm the subcontractor that they like because I can usually go in and help them with their boots in the ground. If somebody is in New York or Zurich and needs to know where something's plugged into and boots in the ground, that's what I do. But in this case, we have somebody that is trying to, they're trying to reset a door access control system. And we were trying to determine where it was. The problem is, is when I plug my etherscope into their switches, I can't see anything on the network. And they said, oh, yeah, we've locked all that down. And I'm like, well, if you lock it down, how do you expect people to help you other than physically tracing cables, which that was something I just couldn't do. The way that the access point or the door access system was mounted on a wall in another room, 
you know, into a conduit and, you know, even using my probe, just, it was just grueling. And I'm like, man, if you had just, you know, allowed me to have SNMP for just a few minutes, that would have helped us. And so that came to mind the art, not the argument. I don't know that it's an argument, but the conundrum of SNMP versus security. Do you leave it on or do you block it all? And I saw some articles that were talking about router leaks and, you know, people using SNMP to go in and find router information and software versions and hack the routers and all of that stuff. And I'm like, well, you don't leave your router open to the outside world, but these are the concerns we have. So I'm posing my questions to the two of you. What do you think? Well, so, so here's been a couple of my experience. I remember back in Interop, and actually this is the first year since 95 I haven't participated in the Interop trade show in one way or another because it's, it's changed a little bit. But it's all online, and uh, I guess Wireshark isn't one of those things that they want training on this year. But uh, I was showing off one of the OptiViews that I've got behind me and at the, and at, at the Fluke booth. And somebody said, well, can I use this to look at what my utilization is on my router? And I said, well, yeah, but, you know, we'd have to be able to access SNMP from the Internet. And I'm sure you don't have that open. Oh, we do. And I said, but you wouldn't want to share the password. Oh, it's public. And so, you know, there's a case where we just pointed at their router. We could see that. Okay, so we don't want to do that. We don't want to leave SNMP open to the Internet. And we do not want to leave the community string public. So, you know, in a lot of cases, I, I went through, the, I read that article that you had sent me about this, and it seemed like the the main gist of that was that people were using a JavaScript uh, from a web page to get the outside IP address of a device where somebody was trying to, you know, mask that outside IP address. So, yeah, maybe if there's a very specific version of hardware that doesn't implement SNMP properly, that's one thing. But in an enterprise, uh, I have been in very, very secure locations where they are running SNMP. And what they've done is, number one, they have disabled SNMP version one and version two. So there's SNMP version three. It came out a long time ago. It uses encryption to encrypt a user ID and password to access the routers and switches. It encrypts the data that comes back. Because one of the biggest issues that we run into with SNMP version one and version two is when you bring your etherscope in to do a network discovery, that etherscope sprays the network with SNMP queries and it passes the community string as clear text. Right. Public, 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 or whatever string you're using. And so I was at one client and they were running, somebody was running Wireshark on their machine all the time, looking at what was going on. So another group went in and did a network discovery. Now this group not only was using the read community string for discovery, but they were using the write community string for discovery. So basically they were handing the community strings to anybody that was listening. So the group, this group was kind of 
fighting with the other group. So they got the right community string and they started changing the names of routers and switches to derogatory com comments about <laughs> the people in the other group. And these two groups kind of went back and forth. So there's a case where if we're doing discovery, we don't want to pass the right community string. Uh, another ab avenue is access lists. Create a group of IP addresses, a subnet, a, a, you know, a block of IP addresses that are used for network management and leave a few open. So you bring your Etherscope in, you've put it in that IP address range. Now you have to have the right password, the right user ID, and have the correct IP address to access SNMP. So it's like anything else. I mean, it's, we can't just, if we just turn it on, we potentially are opening up our routers and switches for somebody to get in and get access to it. But if we're serious about it, there are certainly means that have been in place for a very long time for going in and securing that and ensuring that only the right people can get access to SNMP. Hey, Marvin, this sounds, doesn't this sound very, very similar to uh, an email I may have sent you? Uh, yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. That's uh, that's a that's a good thing. Uh, it sounds like we're all on the same page here. Yeah. Um, I I believe the, the 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 gist of my three paragraphs was pretty much summarized and expanded on by Mike here. I told you we'd get along great. Um, <laughs> I had essentially said SNMPv3, and I said you know management VLAN. The one thing that becomes a problem, and I think it's changing a little bit um, with the cybersecurity awareness that uh, that we're, we're dealing with these days, um, is proper network structure. I mean, you know, how many organizations have you gone into, Marvin, this is, this is more for you. How many have you gone into that are just flat networks? They've got the security cameras. They got the, the voice over IP handsets. They got the servers. They got the desktops, the printers. They're just all on one flat network, right? Yeah. They, you know, maybe they only got 50 devices. So technically, I mean, it fits into a slash 24. But, you know, proper, it's always been proper to have, you know, management, you know, VLAN 1 for management and things like that. Um, but, you know, now that we're dealing with the stuff we're dealing with, I'm starting to treat these really small networks like coffee shops. So I just don't trust anything on the network anymore. Um, and that's sort of becoming the network architecture. Yeah, if you have less than, you know, 10, 10, let's pick 10. So you have 10 employees and they're working in or out of the office. Um, I just don't trust the office anymore. Um, I, don't, I don't bother trying to trust it. It is what it is. Um, and, you know, when you, uh, when you move from there, then uh, into the bigger networks, and I'm not calling 11 seats very big, but when you get into the 50, 100, 200 seats, then you can start properly building things out um, because they're no longer coffee shops. I don't, I don't think 200 people is a coffee shop <laughs> and all the things that entails. Right. Well, here's an example is my, I'll use the example that uh, where I need the five port switch at where I'll probably just stay with the eight ports is they're 30 people, yeah. but they also have 30 plus phones. Mm -hmm. They also have tablets that they use for their practice. And they are now getting laptops as well. Yeah. Um, they also have those medical devices that we talked about, their signage and digital machines. They have Wi-Fi label printers. Yep. Um, and they have other stuff. Oh, cameras. They do have cameras too. So I've got all of those separated. Yep. And and at first they were like, why can't we do this? And I said, well, you want to be able to have people that walk into your office, be able to get on their phones and their tablets. And sometimes they want to pe they want the people to be able to watch um, 
you know, Netflix or Hulu or stuff, because some of their procedures, they're there for a while. So they want to be able to play music on the guest Wi-Fi. And I said, well, you can't have a hundred people coming every day that connect to your network. You just can't do it. So, you know, that's where it started with the guest network. But then we also broke off all those signage devices. The, the tablets are actually on their network because they have to connect to, they have to get files and share stuff and things of that nature. But the, the laptops are actually on a separate network as well. But it seems that the smaller the network, the flatter it is. Which is, which is fine. I, and I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Um, you know, we're even changing our, our network design instead of focusing on this heavy restricted perimeter with, you know, everything closed, you know, and open only what you need. We're going for much more open networks monitor, but don't block as much um, because when they go to Starbucks with that same laptop, um, it's not sitting there behind some heavily, you know, perimeter sense of, you know, sense of security. And so you have to kind of, you have to understand that you can get into stuff like, you know, total and private and, or build your own stuff uh, with, with the SACE. I think, is that how you say it? The SASE, that's the new buzzword these days, um, you know, where you can then have all the, uh, all the traffic uh, routed wherever they are, you know, full zero trust. But even without all that, like, you know, that's the mentality. And like Marvin, that that's what I'm saying. Like, that's a decent sized network. When I say 10 people, I don't mean 10 desktops and, you know, that's it. Uh, when I say there's, you know, I have a, 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 the cannabis company, the LPs, they're the craziest because every room has four cameras in it. So yeah. you'll get a, you'll get a 10 or 20 person office. Uh, one of them has, we have 30 switches at, uh, most of them are 24s, but a lot of those are 48s and it's just cameras and cameras. Um, you know, that's just how it goes. Mm. So, Mike, uh, let me go back to you and ask: What are the most common uses of SNMP that you're you're doing? So, one of them. I mean, it's network discovery. So, I'll tell you what. Let me bring my screen up real quick. Okay. And let's uh, let's take. I think discovery would be the biggest for most people. That's where they just want to see what's there, and SNMP is the easiest. Uh, way to do that. So when you get that up, I'll share it. Uh, all right. And Discovery works, you know, for all of our monitoring tools, Domotes, um, Ovic, all those, you know, even our RMMs now that will have a network uh, component to it. It has to be able to go out and look at stuff. So, so let me move ourselves over there. All right. There so as go. an example, you know, here's our EtherScope NXG, right? So we come over here, eh, there's my etherscope right there. And I've got it connected up to my network here at my home office studio. So let's come back. And if we come over here to auto test, uh, we ran an auto test real quick and we're able to get on the network. We got an IP address, et cetera. So now if I come out to discovery and what I've done is, for my network, I've gone through and anything where I couldn't discover the name, I gave it a name. I figured out what it is. And so one of the things that, you know, like in the Etherscope is I can associate a name with a MAC address. Now, one of the things that drives me nuts, and it took a little while to figure it out, but I will see that some of the MAC addresses would say local admin when I went in and did this discovery. Well, it turns out with a lot of cell phones now, that the secure a security measure that's implemented is they randomize the MAC address every time you connect to a network. 
And so the idea here is it keeps me from tracking where you go by keep by seeing where your MAC address shows up. So every time you connect to a Wi-Fi network, it's a different MAC address, which makes it really hard to track some of that stuff when we're using that in our network. But one of the great things that is really nice now about the fact I've got SNMP running and I've got managed switches is if I come out here to my front door camera, it tells me that it is connected to my switch up in the attic and it's connected to port gig two and it's on VLAN 10. So I know exactly where that sw- that device is connected. So I stopped tugging on cables a very long time ago. I can't, I, I don't crawl under desks. Yeah, if because I shouldn't have to. I am a huge fan of CDP and LLDP on the switches. I know that there's you talk to people, well, there's security concerns because it's giving information about the switch. Yes. But also, how many times have you gone in and you're out there at the desk and I'm in the wiring closet? I say, okay, Marvin, I'm gonna unplug this from the switch. Tell me if the link light goes out. And I think I've traced the right wire and I unplug it from the switch. And you go, have you unplugged it from the switch yet? And it's like, oh, <laughs> plug that one back in again. Try again. And so being able to track this back to where it's at. And in fact, if I come in, I say, well, Uta that works with me, uh, she's connected via VPN tunnel back here to my office. So she's on the 12 network. So I could come in and I could say, hey, I want to go out here to the 12 network. And now I can see all the devices out there at Uta's office. So if I wanted to see where my network attached storage device is connected out here, well, it's down. I need to have her turn that back on. Uh, But here's this little endpoint 2000. Her office is about an hour away. I can say, hey, Uta, could you go check out port gig seven on that switch? I don't have to have her trace the wires or I can come in here to the switch and I can start taking a look at what's going on with each one of those interfaces. So not only do I have discovery, but I could come in and I could take a look at that and start taking a look at some of the statistics on that port to see, am I seeing packet loss? If I Am I seeing high utilization on there? I can't do any of this without uh, SNMP. And if we take it one step further, if I take that discovery I just did and upload that to Link Live, now I get this. So now it is taking and combining my SNMP information I got from my switches with the wireless information. It's looking at what wireless device is associated with which AP. So now I can see that my AP out here in the studio has a ton of stuff connected to it. I can see my AP upstairs. Uh, what's all connected to that. And I can even come in and say, you know what, for my um, wired connection, I want to see port. And for my wireless, I want to see SSID. So now I can start coming in and seeing exactly how everything's hooked up. This is a snapshot in time. So how many times have you gone in where a problem's occurred and you go, so it's changed? Nothing. What's changed? Nothing. Usually three to five times of asking that, you start getting a, well, this cha- we did this, but that shouldn't have any impact on anything else. There's that S word. Exactly. So now I can come in 
And with this, I can do a differential map. So I can take this and I can compare it with a map that I did previously, and it will tell me what's new, what's gone, and what's changed. So I can start getting an idea of what's going on. So if I want to know, uh, you know, where that Z box PC's plugged in, well, that's connected to gig five of Studio Core three. And what I found is I've got <laughs> I've had to go to a lot of small Netgear eight port switches out here in the studio because they don't have fans in them. I got this beautiful D-Link 24 port switch, but I only fire that up when we really need it because for doing videos and everything, it's a little on the noisy side for out here. But you know, I can see how all of those are interconnected. It just makes troubleshooting so much easier and doing that remotely. So somebody could, I can send that etherscope out or even better yet. Here's one I've done. I've, if I have a client that I've been working with for very long, I will set up, I use a lot of micro tick routers, but I will set up a VPN tunnel into their network. I can plug my etherscope into my router on this end, specify the subnets on their network, have it go through the VPN tunnel, discover their network, and I can map it out without ever having to go out on site. So it just having SNMP significantly reduces the amount of time it takes us to get down to the root of the problem. And then being able to come in here. And if I said, um, you know, studio core one, let's go back real quick. So we will go back to discovery, we'll wind our way back out here and uh, we will get rid of our filter. And for those of you that are not watching a video and listening by audio, Mike is showing a lot of this through the NetAlly Etherscope um, that does all of this, and it is connected to his Linked Live account, which is basically NetAlly's web portal where you can upload reports, you can upload uh, analysis, floor plans, a whole bunch of stuff to be able to go back and look at the historical uh, representation of what you've done at sites. So, you know, other reasons, like, you know, in this case, we're looking at the status of each one of the ports. Mm -hmm. uh, we can go back in, we can see if there's a problem. I can tell you right now, every port's up. So it, it makes it a very quick and easy way for, I don't have to log into the switch to see if there's any open ports on that switch. Right. I can go in and pull that information. Uh, we can start seeing, you know, do we have any issues? Uh, uptime. Wow, this thing's been up for 40 weeks. That's pretty good. Um, I know at least one of those times I had to go booking out of here and fire up the, my diesel generator to make sure that uh, the UPSs didn't die in here. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to see what VLANs are out there. I'm able to see which interfaces are out there. I can grab an interface. I can see what the statistics are. I can see what devices are connected to that. Um, it gives me a way to manage the network. And so it, to me, turning off SNMP is like taking the ODB2 connector on your car and squirting hot melt glue in there, right? So here we have this ability to get all these diagnostics but you're going to block that and we're going to go back to a timing light and a dwell meter and things like that. And mm. just, it doesn't make any sense to me. All right. 
Now, Chad, I know that you've been there intently watching. You and I have had discussions on having these types of tools. Do you have stuff that you use where you can do discovery and looking at SNMP? Yeah, so, I mean, it really depends. Like The, the thing is, we do, as you know, a lot of Fortinet and, and Meraki. And in both of those cases, uh, a lot of the tools aren't very helpful uh, with Fortinet because the way all the switches are connected is through Fortilink, which is a, a proprietary um, I don't know what you want to call it. It's a separate. It's a separate VLAN. You can't. You can't. You can't get any information off of this stuff. But you can get all that information from the dashboard. So it's one of those things where if you're playing 100% in that environment, it works really well. But you're not really going to mix and match. And uh, Mike, about your comment about the noise, you made me laugh because I was going to order an MS350 Meraki switch for my house, which is all 10 gig ports. And I thought, you know, I thought I better double check online and see what the the noise ratings like because I haven't deployed one of these in a quiet environment and uh, there were pictures of people with like safety headphones uh, safety <laughs> and uh, and then I looked and it said that at idle the switch uses like 217 watts and I'm like well that heat has to go somewhere even if I ignore the hydro you know meter spinning but anyway uh, so I ended up just sticking with the MS125 and using my 10 gig uh, uh, uplinks with uh, SFP uh, uh, base T uh, converters, which are now a thing. Those weren't for a long time. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, the noise is, it's not to be overstated, but, uh, but yeah, Marvin. So as far as that's concerned, the wireless is really where we, we have a, a bigger, uh, a bigger issue than the, the wired connections, um, heat maps and all that. Um, do you get into a lot of that, Mike? I don't want to derail the, the conversation on you, Marvin, but just no, go ahead. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as doing wireless uh, heat maps and, and map or, taking a look at what the coverage looks like and so on? Yeah. So, for example, you know, you go in, you know, maybe you do a virtual map of a building uh, off blueprints. Then you want to, you know, you install everything and then you want to go and validate that what you did with blueprints, you know, where you drew the lines actually worked out. Um, you know, what's what's the what's the equipment you recommend for that and what's the process for that? So the equipment that I've, I've, that I've been working with on that is the NetAlly uh, Link Runner G2 and the Etherscope NXG. And the G2 is nice because it comes into about the $2,500 price range, which is not bad. And the fact that we can use that to do a heat map and then upload that heat map to Link Live is very nice. And one of the features that they added in there is the ability for me as the as a Wi-Fi engineer to take and push the floor plan and and discovery configuration out to the AirCheck G2 and the Etherscope. So now I can set it up so that, like, I, there was a project down in Austin that somebody uh, asked if I could do at the spur of a moment. So I called up a friend of mine who is mildly technical. He works a lot in 360 video and so on. And I said, hey, could I send one of these things to you? And all you have to do is tap the screen. If you can walk around a building and know where you're at in the building and tap the screen at that location, that's what I need. And by doing that, I could push the floor plan out to that device. He could walk around, do the survey, then upload it, and I can analyze it right here. And so it's taken some of the... Uh, the challenges and you know out of that process and made it much much easier to be able to go in and do both passive and active surveys so if you say hey look i need to make sure that i'm getting this data rate at these locations for this ap you can go back in and validate that 
Oh, uh, some of the some of the competitors, I, I won't name names here, but some of the very popular competitors have very high subscription costs um, for their service to tie along with it. You know, maybe you buy a you buy a unit and you buy a you know the software subscription. How does that compare with uh, with with your uh, your product there? So with NetAlly, you buy the tool, you get the ability to do it, and where the subscription for their Ally Care uh, really comes in is you get some more filters and some more capabilities. But as far as being able to do the survey and view that survey on in the web browser, yeah, once you buy it, there's no additional subscription fees. So it doesn't become a brick if you decide not to spend the whatever it costs per year. I don't know what the cost per year is, but um, that's very interesting. And so is there any limitations, um, you know, when we're talking about, you know, you're talking about heat maps and data rates and everything like that. It's able to identify all the uh, interference issues and the, the signal noise and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. In fact, uh, here, let me bring up. A, uh, yeah. Uh, you're talking about all the, so the etherscope and the link runner G2 will do all of that. The etherscope would do it a little bit better, uh, especially with the air mapper app that they added recently where you can, I mean, you can literally take a PDF or even a picture of a floor plan that you find at the exit door or something like that and upload it. And then basically you can take your wireless findings from the etherscope and merge them with the air mapper stuff. Yep. I also see you have 10 gig uh, uh, available on that, which is really nice. We, we have a lot of 10 gig to the desktop we've been doing. Um, you know, it's, it's funny around here, you can get um, gig by gig for 99 bucks a month. And I'm told that, you know, obviously there's a fair use in SLA, you know, like it's not, it's not enterprise fiber, but um, they have uh, 10 gig coming in the next year or two. Um, and so when we start seeing, you know, two and a half, five, 10 gig to the WAN connection, I mean, it's kind of silly to not be considering 10 gig to the desktop, um, depending on the client. I mean, and then there's need and want, right? We don't need to get into like, you know, do they just want the speed or do they need it? Um, as we see more and more cloud adoption though, and moving file servers to the cloud, you know, if you have 10 gig, to the desktop and to the WAN, um, and you can actually get that from from you know an Azure AWS type service. You can start talking about moving video content and things like that off premise. Um, yep. You know, but if sorry, if you wanted to show, I, I'm really interested in seeing and talking more about this. If this is okay, Marvin, I don't like sure. to. Uh, sure. I think we're we're all agreed. We all like to keep SNMP enabled as long as we protect it. Whether that's you know up you know utilizing SNMP three. Uh, disabling access at the firewall. Now, here's a question I was going to ask you. Uh, do you guys, either of you, go as far as making sure that ports, what are they, 161 and 162 are blocked or anything like that? Inbound or outbound? Inbound? We we block everything inbound, but outbound, no. No, we don't block outbound. Yeah, I, I mean, inbound, um, I, I make sure everything's blocked. You know, what would be an interesting one to take a look at is there's another line of products I work with from a company called ProfitApp. In fact, their, uh, Mike Shaw is located right down there in Florida, probably not far from you, Marvin. And, um, but they've got, I've got a box that sits in line that has a one terabyte drive that captures traffic and writes it to disk. And one of the things that's been nice with that is because I have it both on the inside and outside of my network. I I created an attack dashboard so I can see all the ports that people are trying to access on the outside of my router that I'm rejecting. And what's nice is this will look up the GOIP location. We can map all that out on on a map so we can see 
where those attempts are coming from. Okay. But all right. So let's uh let's we can now dump the SNMP versus security topic and let's move on to Chad's question. Yes, please. All right. Let me share this here. So here's a heat map. This was collected with the uh well, if we come back, let's see. We'll see what we collected it with. This is an AirCheck G2. So okay. this is the little handheld. I can grab one around here somewhere. But um, I can come in. Here's my Wi-Fi survey. So the thing I like, I am a, I hate to, I don't hate to admit it. I'm a Mac user. In fact, I bought a new MacBook. The first one I got with airline points. And so it wasn't like I really bought it. Well, this last one, I went out and actually spent the money on it. I love my Mac and I run VM Fusion, so I can still run Windows on it. But one of the issues that I keep running into is these companies come out with software that only runs on a PC or on Windows. And so the nice thing with this is because it runs through the web browser that it um, I, I can run it. I can connect to it with my tablet. But here's where we did the heat map. And so. You can see the path that was walked in this office space. And I can come into any one of these points and I can click on it. And it's going to show me all of the SSIDs we saw, what BSSIDs we saw there, what channel. So I can see that, you know, we've got some people on, we've got some stuff on channel eight. Uh, we can see, you know, what security they're running, uh, minimum rates, uh, you know, what type they're running, how many a uh, co-channel and adjacent channel interferes we've got for each one of those. But now I can start doing things like I could say, you know what? I want to create a filter. Now, if I don't have ally care, uh, I think it is, I get SSID band and channels. And if I want to get more, then that's where I need to have my support on my product. But I could come in and I could say for SSIDs, I'm going to turn off all this other stuff. And maybe I'm only concerned with LRG. So I'm going to hit apply. So now it's going to filter down on LRG. It looks like I have pretty good coverage, but that's with neg up to negative 100. So if I say, you know what, I really want to see, we'll be really picky, that neg, neg 55. Now this may be more than what I would really want to have, but we see that at neg 55 I'm, or neg 54, I still have great coverage. Let's really bump that up there. Oh, there we go. So we find that, you know, as we start moving that slider, we can see where we could be having problems with coverage. Now, they have made some improvements out here. Uh, they just came out with a new version of Link Live and AP locations. And I know this because I just created a bunch of videos on how to use this and AP locations wasn't there when I did the videos. But now this is going in and it's saying based on signal strength, this is where we think these APs are. So this allows me to come in and do that. Now, if I want to step up my game, well, I mean, we can do even more filters. Um, but if I really want to step up my game with this, I can take and export this to tools like Survey Pro. So if I have Air Magnet Survey Pro, where I can do predictive, why, you know, do predict where I should put all my APs and everything and generate more in-depth reports, I can take this and export it out to that product that runs on my machine. 
Um, in addition to doing the Wi-Fi survey, we can also do our Wi-Fi analysis. It's going to show us all the devices out there. It's going to see what interference sources it saw at the time that we went in and did our survey. So we got some wireless video cameras, um, no microwave ovens, but you know that's the kind of thing it's going to pick up in there. And if we come out even a little bit further, let me see if I can find one more recently. That uh, because the EtherScope NXG has Bluetooth in it, uh, this will also do a Bluetooth low energy heat map to show us what Bluetooth we have out there as well. So if I've got multiple sites, I mean, I can put a link, uh, AirCheck G2 out there and I can have somebody do the survey, upload it, and now I can come in and take a look at it. Now, if I wanted Marvin to look at it, I could come up to my organization. I could send Marvin an invite and say, hey, Marvin, do you want to take a look at this? And then he gets an invite. He logs in. Uh, he can take a look at it and see what's going on in there. So the uh, the EtherScope, that's when you really get serious about it. I'm just looking them up. They're what about 10, 15 grand, depending on which order with. About 10. The, yeah. 10. I'm in Canada land, so it's like 15. Well, it's like 300 up there, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like an extra. Yeah. It's a, it's no, I was, about the, we, we just went up to Victor, or Victoria, BC on vacation for a week. And it's like everything, you know, oh, that seems a little steep. Oh, but that's only 75% or 79% or something. It, it, it's funny because I, I remember when it was the other way around and we actually ended up with a whole bunch of our U.S. customers who are hopefully not watching the show right now. Um, and they uh, they actually said they wanted us just, just to build them in U.S. because it was getting too confusing because the Canadian dollars was more, like it was costing <laughs> them more and they didn't like it. And they've never complained and they like it staying that way. And I've just kind of rode the wave, you know, up and it's, it's generally worked out better for me overall, but um, um, so the EtherScope and now this the the Ally Care. What's that roughly cost per year uh, for Ally Care? Oh, I don't. I'm I'm not sure right off. I, no, it's okay. It's okay. You were firing off other numbers. That's why I asked. So no 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 worries there. Um, and so what what do you lose out with if you don't have the uh, if you only have the, the the Link Runner and not the uh, EtherScope? So with the Air Check, well with the Air Check G2. Yep. You're going to get, you know, the ability to see what's out there, uh, test connectivity. And so, you know, I find that even do, making changes, I put an AP upstairs here at the house to just make sure everything's connected. And, you know, I'll sit there and make sure I can connect every BSS ID and that all my SSI, SSIDs are responding properly. And the air check will do that. Uh, what you really get with the, Etherscope, when it comes to wireless, is discovery. I mean, you get discovery. Uh, we can start going out and seeing what interferers we have. We can see what our data rates are, our retries. We can start graphing that out over time. Okay. And then when you get into the air magnet, I see they've got like a full design suite and everything for that. Um, exactly. So that's where you can get things like Spectrum XT for doing spectrum analysis. So we can start really looking at duty cycles. We can look at, you know, what devices are out there. We can create custom signatures so that if I have, uh, I was at a, a research facility where they had a lot of temperature probes in the coolers to keep track of the temperature. Those were transmitting at 2.4. So we were able to come up with a signature for those so we could start getting an idea of how were those impacting the Wi-Fi and how could we what stay away from those. 
one of the things we found that's really driving, um, you know, the, the need to be better at this is that, you know, in the past, you know, you'd stick a high power 2.4 gigahertz device, you know, in the middle of the building or, you know, one at each end or that sort of thing and, and just blast it all over. And it was generally good enough for people. But now with Wi-Fi 5 and Wi-Fi 6, you know, lower power, more dense, you know, deployments uh, and people really not accepting, you know, their device showing that they have signal, but not actually having signal because the device can't reach back. Um, you know, and actually getting it right, the criticality, you know, of somebody wanting to sit in a random part of a random building um, and actually have full connectivity, it's no longer a nice to have. Um, it's just expected. Yeah. Um, so, you know, well, we and, can't. and we see that everyone thinks that cranking the power, you know, putting massive numbers of APs in and cranking the power way up. It, it's like, you know, it's some of that stuff is counterintuitive. You say, you know, you need to turn it down. That, let's yeah. we go we go high de- we go dense deployment of APs but we turn all the power down so we get the overlap just nice and we don't end up with um, the problem is I, I make the assumption that all the users are using seventy nine dollar Amazon Fire tablets um, you know that that's my assumption I don't assume they're using laptops with external antennas <laughs> you know what right. I mean um, yes. and, and if they are that's fine because that's not going to be an issue um, but I assume that they're all and, and you know. Like we're doing a, a building right now and they have Chromecast shoved behind all the TVs and they have all these random devices everywhere. And there are some of them are, you know, they're, they're, the walls are cinder block, the interior walls. And they've got, you know, it's just at the furthest corners of the building. So, yeah, just sticking central APs in a place like that, it, it just won't work. I mean, it'll work, but it won't work. That's it for me on that. All right. So, Chad, it looks like you've got a little bit of... uh testing to do maybe we need to get you in touch with somebody because part of me thinks that you might want to start off with a link runner g2 and air check kit which is about half which is about half the cost of an etherscope and that would get you the bulk of what you want for both wired and wi-fi but of course yeah i mean it won't we still have some uh, it won't you get get you the full discovery discovery with the with the etherscope is really I mean, that is so nice to be able to walk in to a place and just immediately start discovering what's out there. The air check, uh, air quality, where it'll find all the APs that are, you know, not even associated with your company, but, you know, on the floor above, the floor below and and all of that stuff. Yeah, no, the wireless is really the focus. Like I said, actually, you know, the, the LAN itself is, is less of a concern for me. Um, it's It's more the wireless side of things. Um, we do a lot of rip and replace when we take over clients uh, where we put in our network stack. Um, and so, you know, if there's physical ports, it's less of an issue, but the wireless, we, you know how much time we've wasted literally finding APs uh, up in right. attics. And uh, I mean, I, we're not the only ones I'm sure. Right. Um, but especially when they're way up and you need a skyjack to get to them, you know, and you got a guy, of course, we would never drive around a skyjack while it's up in the air because that is bad. And we would never do that. Um, of course, they bring it down, drive five feet forward, and bring it back up over and over again. Of course, of course, um, of course, probably. Well, that's we used to we used to do a little thing when I did the classes on the OptiViews at hotels that we would hide an AP in the hotel, and then we'd turn everyone loose. And in Washington D.C., they finally said stop doing that. Because we'd have these directional antennas, and we're walking around, it's going beep, 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 and it kind of freaked people out. So I like that. I it, like it, that. It is. It's kind of a fun little game to play to, you know, hide the AP and then see who can find it. Marvin, I'm going to need to jump off. Okay. 
All right. Well, let's do this. Uh, Chad, you got to go or you want to stay for a few minutes? Up to you, Marvin. I just right. I, I want to jump on. So why okay. don't we do this? Let's go ahead and end off the show. Uh, I want to thank everybody that uh, has watched us live. And if you're listening, obviously, thank you for downloading and subscribing to the show. And uh, thank you to Mike and Chad for hopping on here. And as always, head over to podnutspro.com and catch all the information. If you want to look at the back catalog of shows and take a gander at our guest and all of that stuff. We are here most Wednesdays at 8 p.m. live. Of course, you can always get us on the audio versions by subscribing to your favorite podcatcher. We're even on Amazon now, along with Apple, Google, Spotify, all that stuff. So that's going to do it for this week, folks. Thank you very much. And let me find my outro video. And we'll see you next time. And until then, holla. Holla.